0: Welcome to the Bike Roomer podcast, where we spin off from our usual tech coverage to pick the brains of the people behind the brands. If you want to hear how bikes and components go from ideas to the things we ride, this is the cycling podcast you've been waiting for. Please welcome your hosts, Tyler and Watts.
1: So actually, my co-host today is Zach Overholt, who, name you may recognize from Bike Roomer because he's been my right-hand man here and our tech editor for many many years so welcome to the show zach thanks for having me (laughs) thanks for coming on we've been trying to figure this out for far too long after seattle so you've listened to the interview with our host or our guest today is jerome clements who if anybody follows enduro racing for the past couple years they're going to know who he is but he also kind of introduces himself so we'll get to that but the topic of conversation is Product testing, and for him in particular, how he was part of the test team for the new Zip 30 Moto mountain bike wheels. But what I wanted to talk to you kind of more generally first about is just like product testing in general, because you and I do a lot of that,
2: right? Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, I don't
1: know what I was gonna say. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's really it's like a huge part of our jobs, right? I mean, part one is just covering all the new stuff that comes on the bike room, but part two is really, you know, using all of that information to test a lot of the products and that's I think it's one of those things where like when I first started Bike Rumor, it was probably a year or so before somebody asked if we wanted to test something and like I I hadn't really given a ton of thought to that. I just figured we'd cover the new stuff. And they're like I was like, yeah. Sure, we, we could do that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's one of the things that, to me, it's it's kind of the chicken or the egg thing, right? Because in order to properly test product, you need to have ridden a lot of products, but you can't ride a lot of products until you test a lot of products. So, to me, that has been uh, you know one of the greatest learning curves to this job is getting to the point where I feel that at least I can I've, I've ridden enough of whatever particular product category it is, that I feel comfortable making a judgment call on that various
1: product. Yeah. It's funny. Cause that's exactly what I was going to say next too. was that like when I first started, you know, you, I would read reviews that others had done and, you know, from the magazines growing up and stuff. And I'm like, man, like how do they notice this? And then after I've done it a couple of years, I had friends asking me, you know, I was telling them like what I was noticing and they're like, dude, how do you even feel that stuff? And like, yeah it's right like you ride when you start riding more and more and more and more and then you start being able to pick out the finer nuances of how like one suspension platform works a little bit better or worse than others but it's it's kind of hard to just jump into and it took a long time of riding a lot of stuff before I really felt super comfortable being able to say okay this is what I feel and here's why
2: yeah absolutely
1: the um, you know the funny thing going into the Zip launch was they didn't really tell us what was going to be different and special about it or why, like really nothing. They told us nothing about it other than they were very excited about it and made it very clear that this was a very big, very important launch and that it was going to blow our minds. So, of course, my fear going into this was like, oh, crap, what if I can't tell anything different about the wheels? <laughs> <laughs> and,
2: uh, well, I think it's good that they, they didn't uh preload you with all the information. I mean, that to me is one of the, the things that I dislike about a lot of camps or media launches or product launches, you know, when they kind of try to load you up front and kind of tell you what you're supposed to feel, whereas the alternative where you just go into something blind and you feel that stuff to begin with, and then they tell you the stuff, you know, in the presentation, at that point, it makes it a little more real, and a little more justifiable to their their uh,
1: claims yeah and i think it's comforting when they start telling you that and you're like yeah that is what i felt and maybe they help put words to that but um it is because the opposite is too like sometimes they're they're talking a lot of marketing speak and you're like well maybe
2: (laughs) (laughs) definitely some of that
1: yeah. So I'm curious, have you ever felt like when you're testing stuff, or you're going on these launches kind of like imposter syndrome? What do you mean by that? Okay. So imposter syndrome is what I think a lot of uh, the really honest experts feel in that, you know, you know, you're an expert, you know, you're good at this stuff. And you and I are both pretty good at what we do. But there's always that like, man, do I really deserve to be doing this? And you, you don't feel like, maybe you've earned it in some way. And so I feel like there's sometimes you go into this stuff and there's people who have been doing it for longer and or maybe they're a little more well-known than you and I, and they just, they walk the walk. But a lot of times um, I feel like we end up doing a better, deeper technical story and and job of telling the brand story in a way that is uh, meaningful. Um, but there's still, there's always that little shadow of out doubt in the back of my head, like, man, like, what if I don't understand what they're talking about? <laughs> <I> <laughs> yeah.
2: Mean. I'm, uh, I'm often confronted with that, uh, myself, a lot of it comes to me, comes down to my riding ability. That kind of second guess myself going into every one of these launches. And yet, you know, as my wife, Catherine will tell you that I was, I was going nervous and then I always come back saying it was the best, the best ride ever. And you know, super excited to be there so. Definitely definitely easy to second guess yourself when it comes to stuff like this, but yeah, like you said, I think we're doing pretty well.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the my hunch is my feeling on this is, you know, when when you're second guessing yourself, it means you want to do a really good job, right? Like you're you're not scared, but like you don't want to disappoint people. And so I feel like, you know, if you weren't scared, you'd probably be a little too cocky and maybe or you just didn't really care about the result or or you didn't care about why you were there. And, you know, so it's, it's sort of, I think it's a good feeling to be a little bit nervous ahead of time. Probably. The riding thing, it's, it is, especially when we're going somewhere big or, you know, what's funny is, I think the road stuff scares me more because like mountain biking, I kind of know how to crash. <laughs> <laughs> the, the consequences on road are so high and you're going so much faster.
2: Yeah, I think it's kind of what we're, what we're used to as well i mean you and i both probably if we had our choice i'm assuming we'd probably do more mountain than road but you know it's part of bike roomer and part of uh, being a well-rounded cyclist in general you know we're spending equal times on the road or gravel or what have you but i think mountains probably where we would spend most of our time if that was an option
1: yeah i think so um but you know the whole gravel thing is kind of blending the best of both worlds but that is also, probably a way bigger topic for another time. Um, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into this interview with Jerome and then we'll uh, catch up after and see what we thought. Cool. Hey Jerome, thanks for joining us on the Bike Roomer Show. It's a pleasure. So we're in Portugal, Central Portugal, testing out some new stuff that by the time this episode airs will be announced so we can talk about it. And um, for people who aren't familiar with you, who aren't totally into enduro, Tell me a little bit about uh, real quick. Like, what are some of your best results, and what are you up to now?
0: So I've been racing for more than twenty years now. Uh, I started with uh, downhill in the early two thousand, and since two thousand six seven, I'm quite specialized in enduro. Uh, I've been the first EWS world champion. I won the European champion in two thousand fifteen. Uh, won many trans races like Trans Provence, Trans BC, Trans New Zealand, and all these kind of things. And I like ride my bike and I've been working a lot with my partner, my, my sponsors, uh, on the development of the product.
1: Right. And uh, the longer the stage race, the multi-day stage races is, is more of your focus now as opposed to Enduro.
0: Yeah, since last year I don't race uh, the Enduro World Series and I focus more on the trans races and uh, on the development of product for my partner.
1: Right. What made you want to
0: switch from Enduro to trans races? Uh, to, to race at the highest level, so I've been world champion in 2013. Uh, you need a lot of uh, training, a lot of focus, and basically your life is just around this. And at some point, I think I didn't have the fire in me to do that over again and again. So in, instead of doing it in a wrong way, i rather like step back and keep doing what I enjoy the most. So trans races is riding blind. It's more natural skills than just pure training and mental strength. So right. that's why I decided to do that. And also it gives me more time to collaborate with my, my sponsor and spend time testing products and uh, and doing the ambassador for them at some event, riding with the customer, knowing what riding they need. Riding with us. And, yeah, riding with the media also.
1: Yeah, I would think after you know a number of years winning constantly too, like I don't want to say you get bored with that, but like you're like, all right, I, I've accomplished this. It's time to, I want a new
0: challenge, right? Exactly, like once you reach your dream, what you've been chasing for many years, uh, it's hard to keep the, the same motivation, but also you're getting older, I'm almost 35 now, and uh, you see the young kids coming and you need to improve yourself. And improving yourself mean doing more things or new things. Uh, and when you have this motivation to reach your goal, it's easy to accept to go more to the gym, do more miles, more intervals. But once you reach this, it's harder to think, okay, I want to do that over again and uh, put myself in a in this position. you look at um, uh, I think it's uh, Bradley Wiggins that won the um, to the fronts after that
1: yeah what's it, left? What's it was hard
0: to find a motivation so
1: right yeah, one of my favorite quotes is from Laird Hamilton and I'm I'm totally uh, paraphrasing here, but it's basically he said, I don't compete in things where. I know I'm not the best or where I'm going to be up against people who I know are the best, which makes sense, right? Like, you know, but he is the best at what he does, the big wave surfing and some paddleboard stuff. So it's interesting to think that, you know, like find something where you can be the best and go for that. And then once you are, it's like, all right, I think next. Be,
0: being the best could be one motivation uh, for me. It was more, oh, I can improve or I can improve. Even if I'm not the best, if I did my best, and I finish the race, I say, I train as I want it. I eat what I needed. And I'm the fittest I could be. Okay, these guys are faster than me, it's fine. But it, it takes a lot of effort and motivation to do that. And when you don't have this motivation, this fire, it's hard to say, okay, I wanna compete at the highest level and knowing at the end of the race you could have done better.
1: Right, yeah, yeah, that's the, the, I think probably the toughest thing mentally is if you finish and think, you know, I could have done better. Cause then you just beat yourself up, you know, mentally and emotionally on it. Um, so let's talk about some of the work you do with the brands. Cannondale Dell's a big sponsor, and has been for a long time. SRAM, which you know is now Zip in the mountain biking, which is kind of a surprise for a lot of people, I think. You know, Rockshox, and then of course the drivetrains. Let's talk about those wheels first. The new Zip, uh, it's, I think it's three zero Moto.
0: So what was your role in the development process of that? So I've been riding SRAM wheels since two thousand fifteen, and uh, three years ago. They told me, oh, we are working on a new project and uh, by the end of the year, we would like you to switch and be our test writer for, for ZIP. And I was like, okay, what is the, the program? And they explained me the concept. And I was like, okay, this could be, be great. So this process already started before I joined the, the team. So all the engineers have been already working on, on that concept. And then I jump on board. We start testing in 2017 in uh, Tennessee. Uh, Zip came with seven wheel, all the same looking, and we have we had to test. We test also the competition to know what wheel we liked and what we didn't, what kind of, uh, um, uh, how we say, um, um, behavior of the wheel we liked mm-hmm. and what we didn't. And at the end, we pick the wheel we liked the most from Zip, mm-hmm. and from then we start improving it all the time. So we went to multiple set of wheel coming with feedback either it was like all the f- wheel feel or they last or we ki- we thought we could improve and uh, it's been uh, more than two years of uh, development
1: yeah and where were you we guys testing at windrock windrock yeah. yeah which is a gnarly place i've heard i still haven't been there but it's uh, it's it's probably good they didn't do this launch here for the media because i think people would have been breaking <laughs> themselves left and right especially the, the launch was Planned a bit earlier, and uh, the weather wasn't really good. <laughs> yeah, it's been super wet in North Carolina. Um, I'm glad they moved to here because it's been beautiful. The I'm curious, like especially with like seven sets of wheels plus whatever the competition is, that's a lot of runs, which can take a toll on the body. So how do you reconcile what you're feeling on those first couple runs when you're fresh versus you know by run six and seven or ten, you know like how how can you sort of
0: tell what a wheel is really doing versus where your fatigue is starting to play a role? Basically, we start with. Uh, some wheels our wheels and the wheel we were we used to ride and the competition for one or two days we rode the trail so at the end we knew the track we could feel how they work every wheel differently and then we went on the on the zip seven different wheel. Uh, but we choose a trail that is that was rough but like we did today it's a trail you can do over and over over and over again without risking your life and <laughs> being able to ride it at 80%. So you can, you know, you can do 20 runs in a day. All right. That's that's thing that's key. Like the bike was the same. Only thing that changed is the wheel, basically, even the rim. So you can really focus on this and you have like points like a big berm when you try to push as hard as you can, a rock that you know you will hit every time. So you see all the wheel reacts and, and at the end, when you, you feel the um, the sheet, the feedback sheet, you can tell, okay, this wheel gave me more energy. With this wheel, I could hold my line better. On this turn that I do always, this one flexed, this one didn't flex. This was a chunky bits of camber and with this wheel, I can have a good grip. This one wasn't, um, uh, was a bit scary. So you can, you go step by step and all you right. do, you need to go back to back. so. You do one run with every wheel, and then you go back so you can compare and see the feeling.
1: Right on. And what, in particular, are you looking for? You know, like what are the what are the top, like say, three qualities of a wheel in order from what you prefer most to next to next.
0: They need to be reliable. Okay, that's an important. That's one. <laughs> an important thing. Race is over if they fail. They should provide you a good grip. And I think, for enduro, for a long day on the bike, they should be comfortable. Mm-hmm. So, for me, this is the, the key point. Of course, you don't want heavy, um, heavy, slow wheel, but if you have some other um, strong point, this will uh, make the, the weight or the efficiency on the pedal not as important, maybe.
1: Right. Is it, um, man, I'm just thinking like, the in the wheel you have the tires compression and then you have the suspensions compression that to me seems like stiffness is sort of easy right like the tracking whether or not it tracks well but like i mean it feels like a dumb question to ask like how do you tell when it's the wheel
0: providing that extra bit of compliance versus something else because you've been riding the same track with different wheel so you can see the difference okay and also uh the um, My thing is that you're gonna ride uh, this wheel multiple times and at the end you will feel a pattern that this wheel is maybe too compliant. And this one is too stiff. We're not looking for the most compliant wheel like, like that can flex a lot. You just need a certain amount that is a good balance between being stiff and give you a bit of tracking and comfort. Yeah, which is, I think, what is going to set this wheel
1: apart in some regards is that how thin, you know, what a low profile the rim has compared to everything else that's out there, especially in, well, in carbon or alloy, there's very little out there that's that thin until you get to like a fat bike rim or something, which at that point you're riding on balloons
0: anyway, so. So, one thing people need to understand also is like, we as rider, development rider, we do a one part of the development. So. We are here to give feedback to the company. Like, okay, we feel this wheels feels good, we like it, we don't like this. And they have, they will back up this with testing in the labs. So, okay, why this? they feel it's too flexible? Why it's too stiff? Maybe they need to change the carbon layup. Maybe they need to change the spoke tension. But we are not the engineer. Yeah. So we don't know that. We just tell what we feel and the experience we have. And, is the combination of the two that makes the development advance. Because when we come back with feedback, the engineer we scratch their head, try to find a solution, <laughs> analyze this, and and then come back. Okay, this is two new set of wheels, Try them. Which one you like the most? Okay, we went too far this side. We know. And oh, this one is you like it? Okay, what way can we improve? And you go step by step to to the final product.
1: Yeah, now how much do you think your feedback translates to the average rider? Because if you and I went out for a ride, I would be with you for about two seconds, and you'd be gone, you know? And and I feel like, you know, riders at your level are so far above the average rider, and even the above average rider. So it's, you know, like what you're feeling on a component is
0: way different than what I'm gonna feel. So, we are in the light, (laughs) but we are not alone. When we did the first test, we had Mitro Palato and me, pro rider. We had two guys that work at SRAM, good regional rider, that ride good but not pro, and two, I would say, average row, a bit heavier, spend most of the time on the saddle, and we mix this feedback. So it was okay. on, not only the pro feedback that came in count. Of course, we ca- we have more time so we can back-to-back testing and, uh, and do more, more, uh, more testing. And after that, once we get um, further in the process, there is the Miles and More uh, program at SRAM, and they have a lot of different testers. They send the wheel, and they get also like long distance uh, and long-term uh, feedback tests. I think when we will launch the wheel, the, the zip wheel, it's more than 55,000 kilometers, wow. 35,000 miles. That has been done uh, with like probably like 200 rider, different rider so it's not just two riders that say okay this is the wheel that makes me faster it's like a whole bunch of people and also when you do the development you don't only think about your own experience it's also like what the people will enjoy riding right you know? like otherwise maybe you will have like super light wheel that breaks every month it's like okay me as a racer i can have another set for free but like people and the brand they want something yeah, reliable i think
1: that would uh, come back to bite them if they were breaking every month regardless of who was riding them uh did you break any during testing we did yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> catastrophic or just a little crack like if you hit the rock too hard or something
0: no we had uh we had some crack we had some explosion <laughs> but uh the engineer, they, they push the, the limit, so usually they tell you, okay, we go this direction, and be careful. I mean, there was not many, uh, but it, it was early in the process, and I think since a year now, I haven't cracked or break a wheel. All right, well, that's good. <laughs> um, this is how you come with how many spokes you need, which tension, and they change a lot of uh, carbon fiber and uh, resin. so this is where it comes to the recipe at the end. Right. We also, it was one of the things at the beginning that we had in mind, but we weren't sure we could um, realize, is uh, the, the, um, because of the concept of the wheel. So it's more comfortable, but also reduce a lot the, the flat, the pinch flat. Hmm. So you will have some animation that you probably, you will be able to share. But with the system of the wheel that it's center and like a motor wheel. It flex around the spokes, hmm. helps you to uh, spread the impact and reduce the the tire. So we had only in the 35,000 miles we did only two pinch flat recorded. That's pretty awesome. So that's that's uh, quite impressive.
1: Yeah, which is a huge thing because again, if you pinch flat in a race, your race is pretty much over. Yeah, in
0: your race and. If you go on a ride, you don't want to fix the tire. No, yeah, <laughs> like, not sucks. something people enjoy doing. <laughs> no, not at all.
1: So the other thing I'm curious about with regards to testing is the the terrain because there's so many different terrains. You know, even today we rode a couple of different types of dirt and all that. So testing at wind rock, you know, like I'm familiar with North Carolina's dirt. It's awesome. The rocks are awesome. Tons of grip, mostly. And, but then you head out to like Colorado, it's super dry, it's like kitty litter, you, it's, it takes a whole different technique. So were you guys testing in different spots? I mean, I imagine with 200 something test riders they were, but as far as you, like at the top level, were they bringing you around to different
0: places? Yeah, so we've we've been doing this first test session in Winrock. but after they went in the south of France with Adrien Dailly, testing near Nice, which is dry and, and loose. We did another session in the Alps. And, you know, it's a it's different session, and also as a pro rider, we travel a lot, so I'm riding everywhere, and I kept this wheel. They were just black, and uh, I could try them uh, in different places and different conditions.
1: Yeah, I was gonna ask, how did you keep anybody from noticing? Were you racing on them or just using them for testing and training? I've been
0: since Windrock. We left with the the, the set of wheel we like the most, so maybe Mitch didn't take the same than I did, right? But this is where we started, and um, and we went home, there were black carbon, and uh, no logo, nothing, and they say, okay, you're a test rider, this is black wheel, that's it. So people took photos, they noticed my wheel were different, but they either didn't know it was zip, and also they don't know, and they still don't know what is inside, right. what is different. So there's the look of it, but I think they are not afraid that people look at it, because there is a lot of technology and... Uh, Engineering behind it. So And I don't think anybody would have suspected zip, right? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so like It's a it's this, this brand is uh, is famous uh, for the carbon technology And uh, I think it's a good move from them to to come and bring their experience in the mountain bike.
1: Yeah um, all right, I want to even though you're not doing the full-on Enduro anymore It is such a popular thing right now. Let's talk a little bit about training because you know, to go as fast as you can, you're pushing yourself super hard. How important was upper body strength for you versus, you know, just being able to like hold a squat position forever on a multi-minute downhill? Now
0: for enduro, you need to be strong everywhere. So it's skill for downhill, but fitness, and lower body and also upper body. Uh, my vision is that uh, big muscle take a lot of blood. And so when you do um, endurance, it's gonna make you tire quicker or hurt rate goes high. And uh, so I was going to the gym to work on the strength of the upper body, but not gaining too much, too much mass. Right. So more core training, uh, proprioception, balance and figure out the, um, all the movement that you have on the bike that you can correct and control. Right. So that's, that's what I was doing the most rather than just weight lifting.
1: Okay, cool.
0: What are maybe a couple of exercises people can do at home if they wanna get as fast as you? It's like it's simple. You take a Swiss ball, and instead of doing the normal push up, you do the push up on the Swiss ball. So the balance coming in places. Uh, what you can do, you can do. Um, that's more for the l- lower body, but uh, you can do one leg squats on a on a little uh, unstable. Yeah, like the this, the balance board thing. Yeah. those things are hard. <laughs> that's that, like surprisingly hard. Really that, hard. Yeah, so you, you you probably take a like a lighter weight or nothing. Sometimes I was just taking a bar right. with like a three kilo uh, weight and was ju- just doing like one leg squat. And that helps you to balance and upper body uh, control, core muscles.
1: Right on, cool. Well, thanks man, I appreciate your time. And Pleasure. I think
0: it's uh, time for a beer and you yeah. gotta go pack your bike. Yeah, I need to pack a bike, flight tomorrow home. All right, <laughs> cheers. Thanks.
1: So Zach, what'd you think?
2: I, you know, I would say I expected a lot of that, but then there were some parts that were I'd say sort of comforting. I think like one of the one of the things that I've felt a lot recently, especially as a smaller and lighter rider, is that, you know, carbon wheels in general, for me at least, have a tendency to be too too stiff and the ride a little bit too harsh. And a lot of people will say, you know, like, oh well, how are you gonna feel that through, you know, the the tire and suspension? And, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier, you know, kind of second-guess myself, you know, am I really feeling this? But to hear somebody like Jerome say, you know, yeah, that's a big part of this this wheel's design makes me think that maybe I'm not all that crazy when I think that about many rims. (laughs) Right.
1: Yeah, it was – so the way they structured the test for us at the event was – You'd ride the first day we were riding just rock shock suspensions and with the, whatever wheels we brought on our bike. So we brought our own bike and they just put some of their new forks and shocks on it. And we rode the whole day, the same trail back to back to back, just doing shuttle runs so that we could get a feel for the suspension. And then the next day we started off with the same exact setup, did a couple runs just to get back into our groove. And then they switched wheels. And so that we had the same tires. Like when we got there, they put tires on it. We were running Max's front and rear. They had the same exact tires at the same exact pressure, and they put it on uh, the Zip 30 Moto wheels, put those on our bike, and we did like, I think, four runs with that. And, you know, at the end of each run, we would have a couple minutes to like take some notes. They had little test form sheets for us to fill out with some pretty specific categories so that we kind of would make sure that we were paying attention to all the things. And, um, you know, the first couple runs, I'm like, oh man. Well, I mean, they're good. <laughs> I'm rolling fast. But then it was like that third and fourth run where I was like starting to notice little things. And The biggest thing I noticed was there were these rocky sections of rock gardens where you would go through. And all of a sudden, I was, be able, I was able to really hold the exact line I wanted through them. Whereas before, I was pinging around a little bit. But what was funny is like I didn't realize I was pinging around. Until we went back to our old wheels. So, after those first four or the four runs on the zips, we put our original wheels back on, and I was running some alloy, you know, some pretty high end alloy rims, you know, very wide, perfectly good wheels. But man, I felt like I was all over the place all of a sudden.
2: Yeah, sounds like you guys went through the full pro testing protocol, which is something that I really wish we had the opportunity to do more in our testing or at launches. You know, it's a, it's a lot of work to do all those setups and back-to-back testing and and what have you, but in the end, the result is what you are seeing, I think, which is, yeah, it's something I wish we could do more.
1: Yeah, and we didn't even do the presentation on those wheels until that evening, so we had really, like, they told us nothing about them other than the obvious. They had some cutaways there, so you could see, okay, this is a single-wall carbon, but they literally told us nothing about them. Um before we had a chance to ride them and stuff. And even then they've started asking us questions about how what we felt. And it was pretty, pretty telling. I think that of the, I'm trying to think there was four, maybe three or four other journalists there on my run. They had, they ran two sessions and, um, pretty much everybody kind of had the same general feeling. And, you know, it's always funny sitting there with a bunch of other journalists that, you know, you're all friends mostly, but technically also competitors that they kind of hear how people are a little bit guarded and what they do and don't want to say. But, at the end, everyone's like, yeah, it's pretty much, you know, they they really kind of just helped you hold your line and, and felt more comfortable. Interesting.
2: Yeah, uh, certainly uh, reinforces what Zip and SRAM, at least, are claiming about the wheels. Yeah.
1: So I'm curious, like, of the launches you've been to, what are some of the better ones you've done where you feel like they're doing a good job of letting you really get a feel for the product?
2: You know, there's been a few launches recently. Uh, the Polygon launch came to mind with that... Uh, you know, pretty wild react-to-play suspension system that, you know, they didn't tell us anything about the suspension system or the bike before we went for a ride. And we pretty much just immediately climbed straight up this awful, awful climb and then turned around at the top and rode the trail how it was intended to be ridden, probably more of the shuttle, down to the bottom. And, you know, like that setup where we went in without any preconceived notions about it, it was just basically suspension set up go ride it. You know, we actually rode for two days before we got the the actual presentation on the bike. You know, that, that to me was the way that bike launches should probably be held in my, my mind, which is kind of similar to what Zip did here where you're, you know, you're able to test it on a number of different runs before you even get the, uh, get the presentation on it. But, you know, I really also like the, the idea where, Zip just made these small changes to your setup so you can actually see what those do rather than making wholesale changes to whether whether it's a wheel or a frame or suspension setup
1: yeah, it was nice that we got to bring our own bikes because you know you're we're on a bike that we're comfortable with with you know other than changing the tires um, but I think so many bikes come with Maxxis tires that you know those were those were not really a an unknown for us, so it worked out well um, yeah. As far as what Jerome was saying, what, well, first of all, I got to say, like, I think if any brand could get him as a a product tester, I mean, he just, I was, I walked away so impressed after talking to him about, you know, the depth of knowledge he has on the products and and understands what the brands need out of it. So he's not, he wasn't filling zip with accolades, you know, and fluff. He told it like it was, you know, they did break a couple of wheel sets early on, you know, that he was testing it in certain conditions, but I think that was pretty cool that they had so many testers of all abilities and weights and sizes and different conditions and locations and everything. Like, I, you know, for them the stakes were pretty high on this. If that wheel doesn't deliver, and they made such a big deal out of going into mountain bike wheels for the first time, it's. Yeah, I think they got a lot to lose.
2: Yeah. Well, obviously, Zip has quite the history of at least testing and development on the road side of things, which I'm sure played hand in hand with this. This Decision to go into the mountain bike world and it you know on one hand it was surprising that zip is now in the mountain bike space but at the other hand it's like as soon as zip or uh sram acquired them i mean kind of kind of wondered when the when the two would finally meet yeah
1: i is i'm honestly a little surprised it took so long because you know sram launched their mountain bike wheels a while back and i remember i forget what year it was it was a long time ago but I went to that launch and we did the uh, Rock d'Azur race. And it was like, when they launched them, I mean, you know, for the time they seemed good. They were, this was kind of before everybody started going wide, but the biggest thing that was missing was tubeless. Like they were not tubeless ready out of the box. And it was, everyone was kind of like this, you could hear this collective, like, what the heck, man? Like, why (laughs) would you launch a brand new wheel set? You because know, five, six years ago, tubeless was already, there was no doubt tubeless was it, right? Like, if you weren't launching yeah. wheels without being tubeless ready, and these weren't, it was kind of like, I don't think anybody had real problems with the performance of them. It was just like, they're, they're just not future proof. And so, yeah, yeah, I, it wasn't very long before those kind of went away, and they were refocused on uh, the roadside, you know, what well, was zip. And then, of course, you know, they never really put much effort into road SRAM wheels because they had zip. So yeah, yeah, for me, it was surprising it took so long, but now I understand why, because they wanted to do something truly unique, which I think brands have to do nowadays in the wheel space. Cause that's one of those categories where man, like that's probably the last, if I were going to start a bike brand, I think wheels would be the absolute last category I would want to enter
2: because what's left to be done. Well, there's so many, uh, there's so many brands out there. There's so many sizes many different standards i mean you name it like it's it's a it's a huge target which yeah i i agree with you it would be it would be a tough sell
1: yeah the um and i think like i look at aerodynamics you know probably mm, what six seven years ago is when like everybody was coming out with a ton of aerodynamic data like oh well, ours are better at this yaw angle and that yaw angle and here's why we're the fastest and the next person would come out and it would be like one degree different yaw angle where we're the fastest and I think we're at a point now where I don't even when I see the road wheel launches like people will say like okay yes it's fast aerodynamically yes we tested in the wind tunnel but there's not <laughs> nearly as much attention paid to this angle and that angle because yeah, it's the the wheels nowadays everybody's using a very similar shape i mean it's it's rare to see something truly unique and i think zip did it with the nsw kind of that wavy whale humpback series and then um prince and tech did it with a more uh consistent wave pattern you know not so much of a ridge yeah so some of the fat bike rims because you're a big fat bike rider some of those have been. Sort of like a quasi single wall in that there wasn't really an air cavity in the middle, but there was like a foam layer.
0: Yeah, well, the,
2: there's also a full-on uh, single wall. A lot of a lot of aluminum fat bike rims are single wall. Uh, there's a couple carbon versions, like Uh Technically, I think the heads are single wall. I mean, it's uh, single wall. doesn't have the quite the negative connotation that it used to. You know, like back in the day when people would just break rims right left or crack or pull through pull spokes through or you know what have you the the double wall box section rim was you know introduced as a as a stronger rim i mean that was the whole point and now that the materials have sort of caught up to it you know carbon fiber rims really weren't even a thing back then now that the technology's there you know you can uh you can create stronger
1: rims so with these single wall carbon rims and i was even looking back at the um uh what was it the Bowmeester ones that were uh a few years back that were also single wall and that guy ended up going to work for crank brothers and helped develop the synthesis rims but the um i was looking back at our coverage of that and you know tim reviewed those for us we covered the tech on it there was no real mention of that rim being designed to offer that sort of torsional flex in the plane of the rim what, what zip is calling ankle flex does any of that get talked about with fat bike ones
2: uh not a whole lot i think uh maybe head talks about that a little bit in in terms of making a rim that or a a really thin lightweight carbon rim that doesn't just implode you know when it hits a rock or something like that uh but i feel like in, in a way it's almost unavoidable with a fat bike rim because the the rim is so wide compared to the spoke bed and but then you're also running you know three to Eight psi, anyway. So it's uh, how much how much the is going to flex. Kind of depends on the rider weight and the, the pressure that you're running.
1: Yeah, huh. so it hasn't been a real marketing push behind that.
2: No, definitely not. Mm-hmm. Someone brought it up in a in a post recently. You know, like Boeing is able to make an airplane wing that'll bounce up and down, you know, like feet rather than like inches, and those are carbon. You know, but it's it's all in how you orient the plies and how you configure the carbon layup. Yeah. So I want to
1: talk a little bit about takeaways. For me, I'm trying to think, like, okay, well, what does any of this mean for anybody listening, right? Like, I mean, first of all, I think that if you can see how the brand has been testing and they're open with it, which I would encourage all brands to talk about how they test the products and everything, because people really do geek out on this stuff, is like, if you can see that a brand is doing that kind of testing and development work where, you know, years and years go into a product before it launches, like, that should probably fill you with a little bit of confidence. But, um, I think from a testing standpoint, you know, there's so much that we can all do to apply some of this to our own riding, whether it's with tire pressure or suspension setup. So like when I was on the first day when we were just doing Rock Shocks, you know, like they said, okay, if you're gonna change something, change one click on one thing, like don't go fiddle with your air pressure and your compression and your rebound and then do another run and expect to know what was going on, right? So they said, okay, if you're gonna change your compression, change either low speed or high speed, by one click and make a note of it so we made notes of every change that we made so that you can go back and reference and i think that's something we recommended a long time ago in our suspension setup guide uh what you can download as a pdf on BikeMer for free is you know do that just go find some little segment of trail that you ride a lot so you're comfortable on the trail you're comfortable on your bike and then just start making one little change at a time
2: yeah absolutely you just want repeatable trail that you can tell exactly what that one change does and it may may take a few rounds. You're not gonna necessarily notice it immediately, but just being able to do that same run over and over, seeing what each each little change does, I think is a huge part of dialing in your bike and essentially dialing in new products. Yeah. Awesome.
1: All right man, well thanks for making time and joining me on the show today. Thanks.
0: That's a wrap on this episode. Tune in next time for another great ride. Be sure to follow at BikeRumor on your favorite social media and hit like and subscribe or leave a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks and we will see you next time.